Welcome to this episode on the Open University Grad School podcast, which is sponsored by, yes, the Open University Grad School. My name is Sarah Huxley, and I'm a third year PhD student at the Open University, which is based here in the UK. And I'm also a member of Rumpus. We are a group of researchers exploring fun here at the OU. My PhD project is interdisciplinary and predominantly draws from social anthropology, non-formal education and international development. Today I am joined by the remarkable Nora Dooley from CAC, Coaches Across Continents, and they are the organisation who we have collaborated with on this research project. Just before we dive into our conversation, a note for our listeners that the content unfolding represents our personal views and not any official positions from our respective organisations. And now, this is the moment we've been waiting for, we're going to be talking to Nora Dooley about her experiences being part of this research project. Welcome, Nora. Thanks, Sarah. Happy to be here. Awesome. So, before I outline the basics of the research project, it would be really wonderful if you could explain a bit about your role in CAC and the overall aim of what CAC does. Yes, of course. So, Coaches Across Continents, we we started in 2008, and our main goal is supporting local leaders and local organizations in how they approach education and specifically how they integrate play-based activities and what we call purposeful play and education outside the classroom to achieve the social changes that they want to to achieve in their communities. And a a core part of our methodology is called self-directed learning because we know that traditional um, NGOs and you know government programs from different countries have definitely imposed certain values and ideals on on other parts of the world. And so our goal is to never go anywhere where we're not invited. Step one of self-directed learning. Um, also, when we work with organizations, it's a you know relationship that we're building. We're building trust, and we're making sure that anything that we offer, any of the tools that we share, are owned and adapted by our local leaders and local partners, because we know they won't have an impact if, if that doesn't happen. Um, and so, and then on the, on the ground side of that, when we work with coaches and teachers and educators, our goal and our hope is that when they work with young people and children, that they create spaces for young people to direct their own learning and come up with their own ideas and use their imagination and creativity and solve their own problems. Um, And so there's many different levels of how we use self-directed learning, but it's a a core part of what we do. I joined CAC over eight years ago, eight to nine years ago, and my role has changed constantly. I feel like I've I've done a little bit of everything, I think, as usual with small nonprofit organizations or even big nonprofit organizations. We all do a bit of of everything. Um, And so when I started, my main uh, role was to facilitate trainings with leaders around the world, working with them to integrate these play-based activities into their, you know, regular activities, whether it's with, you know, in their schools, with their sports teams, in their nonprofit organizations, in, you know, in their work as social workers or psychologists. We've worked with everyone from, you know, governments and corporations and large federations to, you know, small 
you know, one team leader, community-based organizations. And I think that's what makes our work very unique and, and very adaptable. And over the years, that, that role has changed. I still, of course, hope and want to facilitate trainings on field because I think that's the joy of, of the work that we do. Um, but I mainly support all of our partner organizations throughout the year um, with different resources like supporting their impact measurement practices, supporting their fundraising processes and, and systems, um, supporting with child safeguarding practices and policies, um, basically anything that our partners, you know, tell us that they're struggling with or that they need support with, because again, there a lot of them are on small, small teams. Um, we like to say that we're an extension of that team. And, and then also recently, I have become a leader of a new brand within CAC called Choice for Women, a women-led brand within our larger organization that seeks to basically do everything that we're doing, but really make a priority of supporting women-led organizations, the, the women leaders in our large network that are incredible, and, you know, finding more investment for these programs. So, so really trying to put the, um, you know, the investment dollars into the work that we're doing and, and make sure that we're valuing and assigning value to all the incredible women and, and organizations led by women that, that we've worked with for many years. So just for our listeners, I have a sense now on the aims of our collaborative research project, Looking at Fun. In terms of time frame, oh gosh, when did we first meet? We started back at the very end of 2019, as I was starting out on, on my PhD. So the research has aimed to explore the relationship between fun in learning, specifically in the context of the alternative education work that CAC does and the research question to be concerned with constructions of fun so I've looked at that amongst staff core staff members at the time and some of the partner coaches that Nora referred to and secondly I've been looking specifically at how particular learning activities were experienced as fun. And we'll come on to talk a bit more about how those shifted online due to the pandemic. And then thirdly, just looking at is fun a significant or meaningful concept uh, within CAC? So the wider implications for that as well for learning and education futures more broadly. So... Obviously, we've all been experiencing COVID-19, the global pandemic, in, in different ways over the last couple of years. And me, what was originally going to be a hybrid ethnography became a fully online ethnography. So for those listeners that are less familiar with what ethnography is, I see it as the encountering, experiencing and learning about a specific group of people's lives and their social cultural expressions. So in this case, it was with an organisation, CAC. So this practically meant that I was participating in meetings online. I participated in the preparation and the delivery of four online training sessions with a partner organisation based in Lebanon called Arsensial, who work with young people. And those trainings were looking at how play and healing might come together through the methodology of CAC, specifically for training young coaches that would be working with young people affected by the Beirut blast in August 2020. So most of the data gathering occurred 
as I mentioned, early 2020 to February 2021. So we're looking back, so we've got all that lovely mix of our layers of memory and recollection overlaying, overlaying everything today. Our aim today is to discuss Nora's experiences of being a research participant and ultimately for Nora to share her suggestions for researchers thinking about doing something similar. So thinking about perhaps um, venturing into doing an online ethnography. So without further ado, let's get to it. All right. <laughs> Are we ready? Ready. So now we're going to look at some of Nora's views, reflections and, and tips on being a research participant. So the first question um, dear Nora, is around your advice to researchers. So especially during stressful times, I mean, for us, it was the global pandemic. But in relation to working with researchers from the perspective of being a participant, do you have any suggestions for do's and don'ts? It would be really interesting to hear your thoughts or kind of the top tips. Yeah, it's an interesting question. I mean, I'm obviously, I'm not a researcher myself, and so I'm not, you know, an expert by any means, but we have had researchers over my over my time with CAC and even before, and I've heard, you know, different different experiences, and our experience with you, Sarah, has been incredibly positive, and my, my personal experience has been, you know, it's been really great. Um, and so I think part of that is, and I think just going through this process a bit more closely with you than I have with any past researchers who have come to CAC, I've learned a lot more. Some of those things, I guess, you know, one one main thing I think is a lot of researchers come with a very like academic approach to their research, which of course makes sense um, given the, the context. But often like the work that we do, you know, it's it, it has nothing to do sometimes with what people learn in their academic setting. Like it's just very, very different. It's much more practical. I never, I went straight from undergrad at college and I, I joined this organization. And so I've learned very much through that practical side of um, education. And I've, you know, had many conversations with people who have gotten their master's degrees and PhDs and in similar work. And sometimes it doesn't always match up. Um, and so I think it, it has been really helpful that Sarah, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but had a lot of practical experience before, you know, starting her PhD, your PhD, Sarah. And so I think it's been really helpful, but just, I think you understand a bit more about how often we need to improvise and adapt what we're doing. And sometimes we have a plan, but that plan can't work for many different reasons, whether it's culture, whether it's context, whether it's weather, whether it's a global pandemic, whether it's, you know, different obstacles that come up. And so like the actual practice of the work that we do is very, it's just constantly in flux. And so, so yeah, I think, you know, again, learning from this experience with you, Sarah, it's been really helpful that you've been so adaptable and, you know, open to improvising and sharing ideas about how we can improvise and helping us reflect on those ideas and experiences as well. I think that's been great. So I guess a general do is be open and flexible and, and adaptable. And a general don't is, I get like, again, it, I don't want to sound too, you know, abrupt about academia, because I think there's incredible value in it. Um, and again, learning with Sarah, it's been incredibly helpful. But I think sometimes academia can have a air of, you know, we know everything because we've studied it, whereas 
you know, again, often it doesn't match up with what actually happens on the ground in many different places. Does that make sense? Wow. <laughs> My mind is just whizzing off in all kinds of directions, as, as you can imagine. I think the first thing to say is it's been a, a complete mutual learning experience. And I think it's utterly fascinating that you've, for you, you've picked up on how research is done, what it means to be an academic, what it means to be a practitioner. And yes, I've had 20 years experience working in international development with children and young people. So that's actually the background from which I've stepped into doing my PhD research, which has meant that I've in academic speak, what my positionality is in relation to the research, in relation to CAC, in relation to yourself and the other participants, which has all been a, a learning journey for myself as well. So that whole aspect of thinking around positionality and being open and flexible, and I love the fact that you use the word improvisation, um, I'll bring that up again in terms of the approach to the research when when we sum up but I think we we were forced in a way to be a bit more spontaneous than sometimes in research is like there's always this balance between how much you plan and you read and then how much you as ethnographer Sarah Pink refers to as the kind of the ethnographic hunch how much you go with the intuitive aspects of research and actually I think for us being in a pandemic um we as I think the word you used flux we were certainly thrown into an extra layer and extra challenges perhaps opportunities around doing research grateful for the learning as well that I've that I've had were there any particular surprising moments during the data gathering so if you cast your mind back to early 2020 to early 2021 and I mentioned I was involved in online meetings I was involved in the online trainings and we did those pod reflection sessions as well so there are a number of ways that I engaged online was there anything in any of those instances or others that I haven't mentioned that were particularly surprising for you yes I think yeah it's interesting thinking back it does feel like it's been a long time somehow <laughs> I think one of the general, I think there, it wasn't necessarily like a, a moment of surprise, but like general like experiences with you that kind of surprised me and how useful they were for me. And again, I think that lends to, you know, pa again, past experiences with other researchers and your experience, you know, prior to your PhD program, but also just like the content of what you're researching, I think has been it's been something that we've valued since, you know, CAC started is, is fun. And so I think it really allowed us to reflect, you know, critically and in a, in a fun way on, you know, the work that we're doing because of how much we value fun when it comes to purposeful play. And I think also like how little is known about, you know, what it actually is and, and how it presents. And so I think some surprising moments I loved, you know, we, you, of course, you participated in the online sessions with the coaches in Beirut and it was great to have you there. I think like similarly, like it would have been if we were doing an on-field program and you would have, you know, jumped into everything to experience it. Um, and then afterwards I was surprised at how much I enjoyed the pod interviews 
Yes, our pod reflection sessions. Pod reflection yes. sessions, yes. So I, I really enjoyed those because I think we don't always, I think when we're on field often, like we'll, you know, we were never really facilitating as a team of one. We'll usually have, you know, one or two other people with us. And we always have like debrief and prep sessions. And I always really enjoy those to kind of, you know, reflect on what happened and make a, a new plan often for the next day um, or the next session based on what we learned from the participants that day. And that's a huge part of self-directed learning. It's not imposing our plan. It's kind of coming up with a plan as we go based on the input we're getting from from the group. And I think with the online trainings, I'd miss that a lot because we were doing that a bit, but obviously it's just very different. And so having those reflection sessions with you, I think, helped me, um, you know, yeah, really reflect on what happened and kind of make any adjustments that, you know, we thought were necessary for the next session. And I think one of those reflections, because you, of course, you know, were coming at this from the lens of your research. And so I remember you would always ask questions about like whether I thought certain things were fun or moments of, of fun or anything like that. And I remember thinking about um, a lot of different moments and different ways that we define fun, like moments of laughter, or moments of, you know, deep reflection or connection, um, moments that, you know, were playful. And maybe also, I think one of the ways, one of the things that surprised me in a way, but also just like helped me um, evolve how we do online training. So this was still quite early in our online training experience. I think at, I think since then we've probably done more than like 50. But I think the the work with you really helped me make the online or like work hard to make sure the online training experience was more fun and more playful. And I think that was really important because I think in the beginning we were kind of just kind of bummed that we couldn't do as much movement and play in the online space as we normally do on field. On field, our trainings are like 90, 90% play and movement and like 10%, you know, we might do a little bit of like classroom theory, but it's really just to give them a rest and give their bodies a rest. If we could play the whole time, I really think we would. And so with online, it just felt like it was so much more talking and not as much playing and moving. And so I think since then, we've really worked hard to bring in more fun play. Not that discussion can't be fun, of course, as I've learned with you, Sarah. Um, but I think, for, I think for us, I think for us, the the playfulness is such a huge part of our version of fun. And so making sure we find opportunities for that in the online settings has been incredibly important. We've had, we've gotten some great ideas since since that program with the Beirut coaches. So maybe we'll have to do another round and you'll have to join us, Sarah, so we can. All right, I'm up for yeah. it. I'm always up for it. Brilliant, brilliant. Now that's so interesting to hear. As I was listening to you, I was, I was reflecting and there were, there were two things that I thought were super interesting. One was the, when we were doing the online Beirut trainings and I remember sort of waking up in the morning and having the sensation of, as if I was going to be getting a flight. So that kind of excitement, you know, get ready, get prepared. And my body was actually having the same sensations, even though I wasn't getting on a plane, but that I was getting ready to prepare to sit in front of my computer and join in on this online training that was about to happen. So that just made me reflect on your comments around that you and COC were figuring out how to bring play 
movement and sort of through the mediation of being online, which was really exciting to witness and be part of. And then the other reflection that I had was around, yeah, so the pod sessions, so for listeners, just to, to clarify what those were, I did a small number of kind of reflections sessions online with staff. So rather than being the observer in CAC staff meetings, I created a couple of spaces online where actually I was leading a reflective process. So that was with staff. And then I also did some post interviews after the Beirut online trainings. And there I had an interview with Nora after each training session, as well as the other two coaches that were part of that. And absolutely, in terms of thinking about fun and how we brought that in and that actually how little is known about it, and particularly in a context like CACs, those post-interviews were really interesting from my perspective as well, because we try to think about movement and embodiment, but in online spaces. So I was listening and learning in terms of how you and the other coaches were delivering the sessions, but I was also quite intentional and conscious as a researcher of how I would bring and embody fun and play into uh, the post interviews, but also the sense of movement and play and what that could look like in an online space. I developed the method of laughter critical incidents. So that idea of having laughter that I was observing during the training sessions that we would then have a conversation about and go, was that connected to fun yes. or not? I love that. I love that. <laughs> Did you enjoy that? Yeah. That's really good to get some feedback that actually, although we enjoyed the discussion, we made it fun. Hopefully there's something in finding gestures and nonverbal communication and this whole idea of online embodiment in online spaces coming through. So that is really cool to hear about your surprising moments connect to that. Yeah, just quick, quickly, Sarah, because I just like you bringing that up, like just reminded me of how I had never, I don't think I'd ever done that before in my whole life. Like we've always valued laughter at CAC. And of course, like I think in our personal lives, we value it, whether we're watching comedians or, you know, funny shows or whatever. But do we ever like actually reflect on like, was that laughter connected with fun? Like, I don't think I'd ever been asked that question before in my life. So I think that I just really enjoyed that. And I think that was also surprising. So adding that bit in. <laughs> mm. Oh, nice, nice. Yeah. We were not saying that there is always a direct relationship. Right. It's more that it's an entry point into discussing fun, mm. which also is a slightly different angle that took me a while to work through and tease out. But that hopefully makes it an interesting tool that other researchers could also adapt and use. Okay, so research question number three. We got here, any challenging moments, Nora? So be honest here, because I think it's really useful from a research perspective and a practitioner perspective, you know, when, when you'll look back at what are the lessons learned and how could we do that? I think it would be really useful to hear as a researcher, if I could have supported or facilitated an aspect of the research process in a more useful or effective way for you. Yeah, if you've got any thoughts on challenging moments that I could have perhaps supported you or provided more information or maybe less information. Um, sometimes researchers do overload. I'm quite open to hear any reflections that you've got for myself and researchers more broadly. 
Yeah, I think this is a, a harder one, perhaps because we don't yet know, of course, like the results of your research. And so, you know, again, thinking back to past experiences with researchers, I think some of the challenging moments came once we saw like the results of their research and we felt like they were approaching our work in almost like conflict with academia instead of, you know, recognizing how different practice can be than than theory. And I'm not quite worried about that somehow with you, Sarah, just based on my experiences with you. I'm excited more to see the results. But I also think, you know, a challenge, of course, is the fact that we had to change our work. So like, and the and the research project that you were going to do with us was going to be on field and in different, you know, locations working in person. And so I think, it's not really something that you had control over, but I think I just feel like, I mean, it was really interesting. We had to adapt, like having you as part of that, those like early online experiences was, was really helpful. And like I said, and how we reflected on how we were approaching that. But I think, you know, wondering like, especially because of the the topic of your research, like we, we place so much value on, how much fun we have on field, like like as an organization, that's always been kind of core to our identity is how much fun we have, um, because a lot of traditional coach, education, teacher trainings are very based on theory. They're very, um, shall I say, boring. And honestly, I'm quoting many like participants at the end of the week who like end of a week of training with us who would say like, oh, we thought we were going to come and sit around and you know you were gonna lecture at us or blah 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 and this was like you know so much more fun like they use that language and so I think a cha- like just the overall challenge was trying to channel all that energy that we usually get on field into a computer screen which I honestly think is impossible but I think we're you know again we've found different solutions but it's just it's never going to be the same and so I think yeah, that question, like the what if question is, is always going to be there around this. But I also think, like you said, perhaps, you know, we were forced into this and it became an opportunity to examine fun in a much more difficult setting. And that might, you know, again, I, without knowing like the results of your research and, and, you know, et cetera, et cetera, I think it might lend itself to even more like learning about it because again, who knows, who knows what would have happened if, if the research was conducted um, in part on field. But I think that's just something that kind of sits in my head when I reflect on this. And then on the, in terms of like how you facilitated and supported, you know, I always felt like you were very accessible. I never felt like you were, distance in terms of like oh academia versus practitioner like it never felt like that I never felt like I couldn't ask a challenging question or anything like that you know so I never I don't I don't again I'm I'm kind of hypothetically comparing to what another researcher could potentially do and what I think has happened in the past but I never I never felt that way with you I think you know again one thing that I don't know. I think it's just hard sometimes for practitioners to have this perspective, but I don't know if it's necessarily a problem or a challenge, but sometimes, you know, not knowing 
think you were always really good at telling us like when you had to wear your researcher hat and when you weren't. And I think, and you were really intentional about that. And I think sometimes we wanted you to be like just Sarah and you had to be like researcher Sarah. And so I think, I think that's, you know, but again, you were very good at like kind of sharing that upfront and in all the different sessions that you joined and the meetings where you weren't wearing your researcher hat or where you were wearing your researcher hat. And so, yeah, I think, I think that's good. But yeah, sometimes I think the researcher hat obviously has to be a bit more limited. So I think that's just a, a challenge in terms of our own adaptation and Sarah being so great. So not so wanting you to contribute more again, because your experience, I think lends itself, you know, really well to our work. And, and so, yeah, I don't know. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And that's really interesting to hear um, from your perspective. Absolutely. I mean, just in terms of the, that, that last comment about when I we're sort of intentionally saying I'm wearing my researcher hat and I can't really comment on this meeting on you know should you do x or y because it would it would be like getting it scoring a home goal in terms of football because then if I suggested something and it follows through then you know I've, I've kind of brought a level of bias into to the research but it's a really interesting area and I'm not sure you know I'd be really interested to hear from other researchers that have had to grapple with similar mm. aspects of of if you're coming to work to research an organization but you bring other aspects of your experience and life that are useful to it and how you negotiate and navigate what's useful for the organization, but also for the, the research. It's tricky. I'm not sure. Yeah. I think you were very kind and generous. I'm not sure I always <laughs> managed it very well. But I was definitely conscious of it and sort of trying to navigate it. It's really great that you brought that up because I think it, in ethnography, it's kind of one of the key areas of challenge, tension, opportunity, whichever whichever side you like to you'd like to take that from fabulous all right and then finally before we wrap up I was just going to ask you a broad general question which was being part of the research fun so um this is a bit of a tease dear listeners because we're not going into the findings on fun as I'm currently writing this all up and we hope to share the end of this year early next I really just wanted to get a sense from Nora, if she found in general being part of the research project was fun, and if actually she thinks that that's an important aspect for any piece of research. So um, with that caveat, Nora, over to you. Yeah, great. I love the question. I'm not surprised by the question either, knowing, knowing you, Sarah. Yeah, I think I have had a fun, many fun experiences being part of this research project. I think one reason, you know, for me personally is I have kind of, you know, I went to, you know, Columbia University for undergrad, a very academic school, and I played football, soccer there. And so I was kind of always in this, like the two worlds of like play and academics, like I feel like my whole life because also with my parents. And so I've always, I guess, since I joined CAC, I've always kind of struggled with if I want to or the the should questions about going back to school and studying something and I don't think I've ever I think I've, I feel very comfortable 
with my decision not to and and still you know again who knows in the future but i do love that sarah i love that you are doing your phd after many years of of practical experience and i i think if any research project would push me more into a direction of going back to school i think it was this because i just who like i never knew you could study something like this for a phd so i just i think that's really fun because i think when we think of phds and um, post-grad work you, you don't always think of it being fun I don't think that's the first word that we would use for that so I think yeah it's been an absolute pleasure to be part of this excited to see what what the findings present and I think in terms of just like how the process has been fun it's like for me I love being challenged and I love you know, asking questions and being asked questions that we've never been asked before. That's always really fun for us. Again, with our methodology of self-directed learning, you know, it has to be. We we have to always be open to new questions and new challenges and new evolutions. And so I think Sarah's being here has kind of been a, a very welcome presence in terms of how we like to learn and evolve and grow. And so, so that's been very fun. And also, Sarah, obviously, I think you're wonderful. And so it's been great having your your energy, your quirkiness, your your poetry, all of that, all of that stuff. I remember like one of the first articles you wrote, I think was linked to ice cream and I love ice cream. So, you know. You know, thank you to yourself and to CAC. So now if we move on to just wrapping it up and have a little bit of a reflection in terms of what does all this work say about doing online ethnography in general? I had a couple of reflections that may be useful for other researchers, other qualitative and ethnographic researchers. And one was in relation to my methodological approach to ethnography. And Nora mentioned that word improvisation. And I actually have purposefully thought of my methodology in terms of disciplined improvisation. So this is a notion which I adopted from an educationalist, Sawyer, that speaks of creative teaching and learning as a dynamic process involving a combination of planning and improvisation. So that's the idea of the ebb and flow between scripted and unscripted aspects of research. You know, the whole structure and agency question, which I know in CAC we, we talked about throughout the process of, of the research itself. But really the sense as the pandemic kicked in that this had a lot more meaning in a lot of ways and we touched upon it earlier in our conversation. But practically for me it meant finding structure, so the, the discipline in terms of work plans, marking out ethnography in phases because there was just so much going on and particularly in relation to ethics, I needed to block off bits to find that moment of pause to reassess, reflect, grab a breath, really, in quite a fast-moving world with a fast-moving organisation. And then aspects of the work which were more spontaneous and improvised, which hopefully in some ways connected back to embodying aspects of fun itself. For me, practical things like my field notes, we're not as structured as some ethnographers, and I'll speak more about that in, in the thesis. I just thought it was useful to, to come back to that idea of, of improvisation, and, and particularly discipline improvisation. And then the other thing to mention was embodiment, and this whole idea of 
being in online synchronous learning spaces. So we use Skype at the start, but then moved over to, to Zoom with the online training. Considering really if or how to experience the world through and with our whole person body. So that's how I think of embodiment, that there are ways of knowing through the body and not just through the mind. Lots of other um, embodied researchers and practitioners out there that this idea that language and verbal expressions are insufficient and that actually this the separation between mind and body that's in so much of Western academic thought is actually quite limiting. So I just wanted to say a massive thank you to Nora. It's been such a pleasure and I hope you've enjoyed this. Absolutely. Always there. I love talking with you. Thanks for having me. <laughs> oh, that's that's fabulous. Thank you for coming. Um, so just a reminder, we hope to share the future findings on fun end of this year and into next year. So keep an eye out on social media. You can find out more about Coaches Across Continents CAC on their website, as well as about Rumpus on the OU website. And you can always reach out to myself. I'm on Twitter, so I'm at Aid Hoover. I wish everyone a fabulous rest of day and hope to speak with you soon again Nora thanks very much thanks Sarah bye bye